Welcome. Glad you're here today. I'm Dan. I'm the lead pastor here at LCC. It's just great to have you here. We're going to start a new series today, but I will tell you I'm not a car guy. Not a car guy. In fact, I've never have been. If, if someone asks me like what kind of car I have, I say it's a red one, okay? <laughs> now, I do, I do actually work on cars from time to time only, only to save money, and I appreciate they can get me from point A to point B. That's about it. But most of us, even those who, who are, of us who are car illiterate, illiterate, know that you need oil in a car, right? You've got to have oil in the engine of a car. Have you ever seen what happens to a running engine when oil leaves the running engine? Take a look. Love to see people excited about what they do, huh? Oil, okay, is vital to a car. We know that. In an engine where, where multiple parts are rubbing against each other, it's the oil that lubricates, it surrounds, it allows the engine to function as it was intended to. Without the oil, the friction, the tension in that engine are uncontrollable, and then disintegration happens. You got to pay careful attention to the oil. You're probably going to go home and check it now, right? When I was in fifth grade, I had a girlfriend. She broke my heart. She did it over the phone. Come on. They didn't have texting back then, all right? By the way, don't ever end a relationship. Let's just say that. Don't ever end a relationship by texting. Bad idea. But I knew it was coming, and so this beautiful, this beautiful fifth grade relationship, which consisted mainly of seeing each other at church, was over. And so a disintegration happened in my world. My fifth grade self experienced the most significant disruption with God that I had yet. How could you do this to me? I thought, thought you cared about me. Now, that was long ago, and I don't mean to, to like make light of it because it was significant at the time, but that event would just be one of many disruptions that would come in my life. Disruptions in school and friendships, family, jobs, health, parenting finances, all those things. And with each disruption usually came a similar like disintegration, a breaking apart of things, often a break in my relationship with God, more questioning, how could you allow this to happen? It was as if the oil had, had come out of the machine, and the God who at one time I had seemed to have some kind of peace with suddenly felt like really, really far off. He must have a problem 
with me. And if he doesn't, I got a problem with him because he let this happen in my life. How do you, how do you handle it when those disruptions come? I know you have them. Maybe you're in the middle of one right now. Some of them can be really big. They can be life-changing. Some of them are smaller. How do they affect you? Do, you? do you have sleepless nights? Is there anxiety in your life? Worry? Maybe you're in a place of despair where you feel like you're never going to have relief. Or maybe there's fear in you, fear of what you're going through, or maybe even fear of something that hasn't even happened yet that your mind wanders to. How do you live there? I will tell you, as we get into this today, this is probably one of the hardest messages I've had to prepare for because my life goes in and out of these times. And so as I come to this today, no, this is a story. What we're talking about today is very applicable to my life. Now, we know from the Word of God that our our world is on a path, okay? It's on a path of disintegration. It's full of conflict, of tension. It's full of uncertainty. There's a lot of hostility out in our world right now. There's a lot of negative, a lot of angry noise that is coming out. Everyone's trying to position themselves. And what it does is it produces in us like this this lack of, of rest, this lack of peace, and more anxiety. And it's having an effect. The American Psychiatric Association did a study back last year and concluded that almost 40% of Americans were more anxious than in the previous year when they had done the study. From Time Magazine. Oh, approximately 40 million American adults, roughly 18% of the population, it was reported, had an anxiety disorder. And this is hitting our young people really hard Some have called this generation the anxious generation. So what's this saying about about our times? What's this saying about our God? What's this saying about us? Today, we're going to start a series called Making Peace. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at what it means to make peace with those who are closest to us, our family, what it means to make peace with with our world, uh, what it means to make peace with ourselves, with our past today. We're going to talk about what it means to have peace with God. How, how do we have peace with God in this world? What is peace? What is peace? Jesus said to his followers before he left them, he said these words in John 14, 27. You probably heard them before. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So immediately, Jesus presents this distinction for us between the peace of the world, as the world defines it, and the peace of him that he gives, his peace. Now, the peace of the world, we know what that is, right? It dwells in places that are free from conflict. It's, it's a feeling, it's a state that generally includes a lack of responsibility. No one's asking anything of me. It includes this feeling, perhaps, of happiness a lack of concern, a lack of worry. It's a place where things are generally going our way. I'm at such peace, right? And I would argue that that's the kind of peace that most people, including followers of Christ, live for. They search after that kind of peace. I'm living for that next moment of peace, a place where I can unplug from from this chaos. And so we visualize beaches, right? Mountains, or just being away from people having a book, maybe, or escaping in some way. 
We wait for that next high to come. I'll have some peace when I get there. Now, Jesus knows that the only kind of peace that this world can offer us is a peace of mind that's based on good circumstances. If, if the world can take away our troubles for a time through like things like health insurance, right, so we don't have to think about our health, or our, our retirement accounts so we don't have to think about the future, or flood protection, or bomb shelters, or whatever it is, we can have some kind of peace. Then the world can give us some peace of mind. But the peace he is talking about here is different. It's different. He says, not as the world gives. It's not like the world. His peace is not based on the way the world does things. It's, it's not based on good circumstances or things going my way. It's given and it holds even in bad circumstances, in suffering. In fact, if you think about the words that were said here to his followers before he left, they were about to go through, his followers were about to go through one of the most turbulent times in their life. Their, world, their worlds were going to be turned upside down, persecution, separation from him. And he says to them in that, let not your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. Now in the Bible, the Hebrew word shalom describes peace as this, this inward state of completeness, the state of fullness, to have rest on a deeper level, like a soul level. So we're going to use a definition for peace throughout this series, and this is it, peace. Peace is wholeness, a state of harmony, confidence, and soul rest that goes beyond our circumstances. Let me say it again. Peace is wholeness, a state of harmony, confidence, and soul rest that goes beyond our circumstances. And our God is called a God of peace. He's a God who brings completion. He brings confidence that comes from trusting him. He brings a quietness in our spirit. He completes things. He brings things to completion. It goes beyond our circumstances. So a lack of peace, according to this, is, is a disintegration. It's, it's a breaking apart from the whole. So to have peace is to bring back together, is to restore back together. So let's talk about two questions when it comes to peace today. The first one is this. Do, does God, does God have peace with us? Okay. Are things right between us and God, according to God? And the second question is, do we, do we have peace in him? Do we have peace in him? So let's talk about the first one. From God's point of view, are things okay? Have things been made right? Is there wholeness there? Now, most of us are very familiar with the story of Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve lived in this perfect state of peace with God, wholeness, harmony, confidence. They trusted God and soul rest. They were told just not to eat from the one tree, right? We know that. But then their world, and ultimately our world, was shattered because they wrongly believed that that one tree was going to bring them something more, something they needed. So they took their eyes off God. They began desiring that tree, and they ate from it. They listened to the voice of the enemy, and they were dead wrong about what they thought that tree would do. And their sin led to separation from God. There was disintegration in the relationship, a shattering Chaos came as a result, lack of peace. What did they do? They hid. They were incomplete. They lacked trust. They lacked confidence in God. Their souls became restless. 
And that choice, unfortunately, left them and us in this state of restlessness as enemies of God. But God, in his great mercy, his great mercy, he had a plan to to restore, to bring order to the chaos, to bring completeness and wholeness. Jesus was sent. The Bible in Isaiah 9, 6, before he, he came, predicted he was called the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace. And Paul talks about Christ when he says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood shed on the cross. So so Jesus brought the world, he brought to us the opportunity for peace with God to be complete. Unfortunately, not everyone takes that offer. Much of this world still lives in this state of unrest, this lack of peace, because they've not chosen Christ, and they desperately need him. So there's an emptiness. We see it. There's an incompleteness in this world. There's a, there's a skepticism. There's a lack of trust in God, an incredible unsettledness in the souls of those who don't know him, insecurity, worry. That doesn't mean we don't try to fill it. People try to fill it with relationships, experiences, work, kids, whatever it is. But only oil, only oil can go into the engine and make the friction and the tension of this life make sense and work. And, and Paul talks to his church in, in the Romans 5. He says this. Go on one more here. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In God's eyes, if we have trusted Christ, the peace question is settled. There is completeness. There's wholeness. We are at peace with him. Things have been made right. And and God's peace, God's peace, what he's done for us is intended for us now to be able to have peace in him because of what he did for us. So in Luke 7, a woman comes to Jesus, and she's a sinner. She's done some bad stuff. And she comes to him and falls down before him in a state of just a posture of forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord. And Jesus says to her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go in soul rest. Go in completeness. Go in confidence. So do we go in peace is the question. Do we go in peace? God has made peace with us. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do we let them be troubled? Or do we live in peace? If we don't, can we even? And how do we do that? That's the question. So turn with me to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. And we're going to read some of the words of Paul to the church in Philippi. Um, He's going to give them some principles. It's going to help help them and help us to experience the peace of God and the God of peace. But before we start reading these, I got to say this. These are not items to check off a list. They're not items to just do once and check off. These represent a way of life, a lifestyle, a zone that we live in. I'll go a step further and even say these represent the lordship of Jesus 
Christ in our lives. So I'm going to read through Philippians 4, 4 through 9, and we'll come back and talk about it. So Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, say, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. Wholeness, confidence, soul rest, even in the midst of suffering and disruptions. So Paul, Paul gets specific here as to what to do if you want to, to gain the return of peace in your life. Here's where you need to invest. First, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In case you didn't hear it the first time, rejoice in the Lord. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord always. It means to take great delight in him. This is not something you just check off a list here. This is something you live in or you don't. Do you take great delight in him? This has to do with our worship, but it's not, it's, this is not a one-time thing. This is not just mustering up some kind of great attitude or a state of positivity. It is personal delight in who God is, and it comes out of relationship with God. When we live with him, when we talk, when we pray to him, when we focus on him, when we long to be with him, when he is above all things, it leads to that completeness in our lives. In that way, peace, again, it's not a one-time event. It's both now and it's a process that we grow into throughout our lives. As we grow and we understand him more, we give our lives over to him, we gain in our understanding and living in the peace that he offers. It says in Isaiah 26, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. See, this represents here a relationship whose mind is stayed on you. There's a, there's a time happening here. There's a relationship. There's an investment that's happening here because he trusts you. The one who rejoices in God is the one who trusts in him, that he's got it, that he's in control of where things are going, that he knows the big picture. Trust is like this huge issue when it comes to peace. They go hand in hand. If you stop trusting disintegration, it's going to happen in life. Paul says in in, uh, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. There's this, again, it's it's a ruling, it's a reign, it's it's over time, it's over your life. Let it happen. 
So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You see the living, living with the Lord at hand, living with the reality that he is present with you in what you're going through, even in your disruptions, living in that reality. So important. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming back as well. It's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. You live with that in mind. He goes on to say, don't be anxious about anything. Choose it. Don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Don't be anxious. So hard to do, right? If you're like me, you read that and you say, okay, (laughs) don't be anxious about anything. Come on. How do we do that in this world? How do we live without being anxious? Is that even possible? Well, part of the problem is, I really believe this, I think we've adopted a lifestyle that is so far from the one that God intended us to live that it's hard to even imagine what a life would look like giving over our anxiety to God and releasing that to him. We, we let so much into our life that we, it's hard to even imagine what it means to live with that anxiety because we have the words of Jesus. He said, come to me, all you who are burdened, I'll give you rest, right? He came to bring rest. He, he did not come to bring chaos into our life, but we live in a world that's full of chaos. And so if we choose to live and, and go along with the way the world is going, we're going to have a hard time with being anxious. We're going to have to battle to not let our hearts be troubled. We're going to talk about a little bit more about anxiety in a second with Lisa. But do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, so don't be anxious, but replace the anxiousness with something, right? Pray. Talk to God in your anxiousness when you are feeling it. When the disruptions come, talk to him. Supplication is a big fancy word. Basically, it means to earnestly ask, to almost beg, okay? So don't be anxious, but in everything, pray and earnestly pray and ask God with thanksgiving. Now, this is not, when you're ang- this is not a denial of reality here with anxiousness. We don't we don't just pretend, all right? Don't worry, just be happy, right? No, this is not a denial of reality. This is a relationship that happens where we pray, we invite God into what's happening. Because what, what happens is when we pray, we acknowledge that God has the answers to the problem first. We also acknowledge that he's got the power to handle the problem and anything we might face in the problem. Now, our anxiety comes from somewhere. What is the root of the anxiety that we experience? Isn't it often rooted in a couple of things? One, when life, when we've got a picture of how we think our life is going to go, and so we've kind of scripted it out, and then something happens that doesn't match what we have laid out, and it brings us this tension, right, this this disintegration. When we equate trust with the assumption that God is going to give us whatever we want, that's not the message in the Word of God. 
Trust is believing in God whatever comes your way and walking through it with him. Goes on to say, uh, be thankful. You know, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So coming with a posture before God that everything he gives us is a gift. This is so important. See, we live in this world that says you're entitled, right? You're entitled to this or that. To be thankful is to say, no, I'm not entitled to any of that. Everything that I get is a gift. I think I've told this, I might have told this story before, but Lars, my wife's dad, um, gosh, it's been years ago now where, where he had this, this serious, serious health condition. Um, it kind of forced him to retire uh, sooner than he would have. It, it really mimicked the symptoms of a stroke, but it wasn't a stroke but it affected his communication. And if you would have known him before this, he is a storyteller. He loves to talk. And all of a sudden, that was gone from him. And I remember sitting with him not long after that happened in the car, and it was very intentional. I wanted to find out, how, how, how are you doing with, with God in this disruption in your life? And he just had this perspective that, that just shocked me, really surprised me. It was kind of like he said, God... I know that I've had so much good in my life, and this is, about, this is about my turn to go through something like this. I look around me, and I see other people going through things, and I think, man, how blessed have I been to have all that I've had, and now I'm just going to go through this and be thankful for what God allowed me to have and what he gives to me. Do you see the distinction there between having that kind of perspective that every breath that you take is a gift rather than I expect to have this certain life. And then when I turn this age, I expect to have this in my life. And I expect my kids to do this. And I expect my world to revolve around me like this. Be thankful. Come to God with thanksgiving. It changes your outlook. brings peace. So rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious. Be thankful. And the peace of God, verse 7 which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, this way of living, not this one-time deal, this way of living where Jesus is Lord of everything, where our eyes are on him, it brings about this, this peace, this supernatural Holy Spirit kind of peace in our lives. And that peace, which again is unlike anything that the world can offer, will guard us and keep us in Christ. There's an image there, isn't there? Because usually a warrior or a soldier is in charge of guarding something, right? In this case, peace is our warrior. Peace is the one who guards our hearts and our minds and keeps us in Christ. It's protecting us. It's keeping us and allowing us to live and exist with him there. So important. I got to move on. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. I don't think I need to tell you there's a lot of noise going on right now in our world, right? And much of the noise is negative, uh, whether it's online, whether it's on the radio, whether it's 
at our workplaces and the conversations that we engage in, when we engage in that world, is it any, is it any surprise that we have a lack of peace, a lack of restlessness, that we live clenched towards other people, sometimes towards one another, even here as well? Paul tells us peace comes when we redirect our minds. And we redirect them specifically to a place. Because all these things you see up here represent the creator. When we, when we go see a movie, right? Who likes movies? Anybody? Like to see a movie? When you go see a movie, you're in the movie and something happens, right? You see truth exalted, like the truth comes out. Or, or you see someone do the right thing. You see justice happen. You, you, you see someone one, live and sacrifice for someone else, maybe even give their life to someone. What happens in you? It's powerful. It changes you because it makes you think. And it directs us towards the creator because all those things represent who he is, whatever is excellent, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is right. Those are him. They all point to him, the God of peace. Think on those things, Paul says. Paul says in other places, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It's completeness. He also says, Paul, he also says in 2 Timothy 2, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So this is not passive when it comes to peace. Oh, God can bring peace, but this is active on our part. We're supposed to pursue this in our lives. And I'll tell you, young people, this is the truth. I, I, I can't believe uh, the world that you live in now, specifically when it comes to what's expected from you at school, the, the amount of, of work that you're expected there. And on top of that, you've got distractions coming all over the place from everywhere. You've got, you know, it's, it's the phones, sure. It's the social media, it's all that stuff. It's noise and, and it, it kills the peace. It's no wonder that you guys live with anxiety in your hearts about things. And you're gonna have to learn, as all of us do, and some of us do better at it than others, that you got choices to make, whether you're going to allow those things to take hold in your life because they are peace killers and they will bring in you a lack of rest, a lack of sleep, anxiety. They'll affect you. It's really important to pursue peace. Paul goes on in verse 9 to say this. What he's Again, he's talking to the church here. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul, your mentor, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So two things he says in here, receive, practice. Receive, practice. What, is, what, what are they receiving from Paul? They're receiving the word of God, obviously, because that's what Paul based his life on. Right, we know Psalm 119, great peace comes to those who love your law. So they're receiving the word of God. They're, and Paul says, put it into practice. They're also receiving from Paul a modeling. 
a life to look at and to model. I, I believe every one of us should have somebody in our life that we're looking to that is farther down the road from us in, our spirit, in their spiritual walk. Someone who's lived more life with Christ, someone who's walked longer with him. I think we should also have somebody who's not walked as long on the journey of faith and life so that we can encourage them. You have relationships like that where you're around somebody who's, who's further along in the faith and you leave that relationship and you're just like, you've had a meeting or something and you're just like, man, I want to follow God. I want to follow God. That person is, is their life is, is turned over to God. They're surrendered to his will. I want to be like them. See, that's the godly principle in, in all in this is to receive from those people and put into practice what you learn. So some of what to think about today is, is, uh, is what kind of peace are we running after? Are we running after the peace that the world offers? It says, okay, in order to leave the chaos, you've got to wait till things get, you can set things up perfectly so you can have peace. Or do you want to live with the Lord who created you, who says, I want to live with you and walk through everything with you through disruptions, and I want to bring completion, and I want to bring soul rest to you in it. Let's do this together. It's our choice. I'll say this, how can we expect to have peace if we live apart from him, if our eyes are turned and we're just letting everything else replace him in our life, if, if we're listening to the angry, negative noise out there and our focus is on that, if we're not thankful for what we have, if we're not receiving God's word, if we're not choosing to be around followers who walk with him. It's no wonder our hearts can be troubled. I want to ask Lisa to come up here. Lisa, come on up. Throughout this series, we're going to be having some, some count. We've got several counselors that attend here at LCC, and God has gifted us to be able to have them here just to gain perspective. So I'm going to ask Lisa some questions. Lisa's a counselor at the Live Wellness Center, and she's been a part of LCC for a while here. And Lisa, this stuff we're talking about today, obviously, uh, I imagine that people come to you with a lack of peace, with worry, with anxiety. How are people approaching God when they come to you? Where, where is God in, in their picture, and how are they relating to him? Uh, I want to name some destructive approaches to suffering that people use when they don't feel allowed to feel their pain. They think they have to hide it uh, because there's no safe place that they could tell their, their story. Uh, one is masochism, which is turning the other cheek, just patiently suffering. This produces a victim mentality. Another one is cheap forgiveness, forgiving God and other people quickly, which short circuits the natural process of anger. We're allowed to be angry. Uh, this produces denial and repression of the anger, blocking the possibility of true, real forgiveness. The next one is apathy, which is not suffering. 
suppressing our emotions using, I'm going to name a bunch of things, see if you recognize any of these, alcohol, food, sex, overwork, cleanliness, helicopter parenting, busyness, and many, many others. This apathy produces indifference to the suffering of other people in addition to my own. The next is a miracle mentality. If my faith is strong enough, God will answer my prayer. This produces guilt and a feeling of disconnect from God. Maybe I didn't do it right, or maybe he doesn't care. Another one is easy answers, throwing out cliches that trivialize our suffering instead of honoring the suffering. Comments such as, I will become stronger because of this. God never gives you more than you can handle. Or God is good all the time. This produces a feeling of distance from the suffering instead of accepting and dealing with it. And none of these approaches produces an intimate relationship with God, which is what I think we, we are wanting, as Dan said. So I ask myself, what is an intimate relationship with God? It's when I turn toward him during difficult times and I just enjoy his presence. He doesn't have to do anything for me. He matters more than my getting my suffering relieved. Yeah. So people come, they have these, this, these disconnects with God, these disruptions, and they're, and they're relating to God in unhealthy kinds of ways. And we know that Jesus said, right, let not your hearts be troubled. So how do you help people who have, have those destructive kind of patterns? And I think probably a lot of us here do too. Some of those sound familiar to me. I'm like, oh. Um, how do you help people to, to start down that road of, of not letting their hearts be troubled? Uh, the word I use is lament, which I define as the gap between God's promises and my experience. Uh, lamenting allows us to uh, voice to God that life is not right. If we don't feel the pain, then we have to create a world that's only good. Like we said, God is good all the time um, and uh, all the different ways that we do. But I just mentioned, this is where the anxiety and the depression uh, start to develop. Uh, but lament allows us to live in reality and then to feel hope. Lament allows us to have an intimate relationship with God. Uh, so you're probably saying, well, what do I do if I want to lament? I want to read Psalm 42. Uh, and I use, I'm using the voice version. Uh, this is a lament. A lament. I long for the true God who lives. When can I stand before him and feel his comfort? Right now, I'm overwhelmed by my sorrow and pain. People say, where is your true God whom you claim will save? Why am I so overwrought? Why can't I just hope in God? Despite all my emotions, I will believe and praise the one who saves me and is my life. My God, my soul is so traumatized. The only help is remembering you. 
In the light of day, he shows me his love. When night settles in and all is dark, he keeps me company. I love that. His soothing song, a prayerful melody to the true God of my life. Even still, I will say to the true God, my rock and strength, why have you forgotten me? Why must I live my life so depressed, crying endlessly while my enemies have the upper hand? Why am I so overwrought? Why am I so disturbed? Why can't I just hope in God? Despite all my emotion, emotions, mm. I will believe and praise the one who saves me, my God. Which is what, Dan, you were just talking about, suffering and peace put together. Mm-hmm. Those are honest words. Um, let me ask you this question because I think probably a lot of us are thinking through this when it comes to the anxiety in our lives. And I've shared my own struggles with you that I, that I have struggles in, um, in not letting my heart be troubled. And it shows up in this way. I don't sleep sometimes or I can't get my mind to stop because it's got to finish something. It's got to keep going. There's just anxiousness. How do you, how do you help people in that? I love that. That's so real. Um, we can use mindfulness, which is being mindful of what's going on with me instead of blocking and instead of avoiding, which is easier. Uh, mindfulness is acknowledging and accepting all of my emotions. It's very counterintuitive, I bet, for most of us. Instead of using the coping mechanisms that we mentioned, masochism, cheap forgiveness, apathy, the miracle mentality, or easy answers, we just notice the emotions and accept them. Because really, what else is there to do? They're already there. Just accepting them. The, the negative and the positive. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I would say. I'm noticing my heart is pounding because I'm thinking about that problem at work. Well, of course I'm a little anxious. I want it to turn out well. Anyone else in the same situation would feel the same way I do. Or I'm noticing I feel upset when I think about that conversation with my friend. I must really care about that relationship because it's been on my mind a lot. So. This is what's really tough, not needing answers, resolution, control, certainty, reassurance, relief, or justice. Everyone's saying, but I want those, I, I know. <laughs> those, are, those are strong words. I mean, I mean, we think of mindfulness, right? We think of Yoda. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But really, it's, it's sitting with, with your emotions, right? And this is modeled for us. I mean, you read the psalm. They sat with their emotions. They laid them out before God. We don't do that in, in, as Americans, right? We're, what, we're we too busy to take time out to jump into that, to, to be with God and to be quiet and to be still? And I think we, as Americans, we don't want to feel vulnerable. We don't want to look vulnerable to the other guy because the other guy is really great. He's, he's not or she is not worried about anything, but I am, so I don't want everybody else to know. So I think that's the problem, that the other person feels the same way I do. <laughs> We're all pretending. Yeah, yeah. You, I know you, we talked earlier, you, you said you pay special attention to Christians who are persecuted in our world today. What, 
can we learn about peace with God from them? I have some examples of people in other countries, what they are having to go through because of being a Christian. So when we sing, I'm not ashamed of the one who saved my soul, they're singing that, but uh, it takes a lot more courage for them to sing it. Um, some are locked in shipping containers that are pitch black, pitch black for 30 days, uh, which is enough time that they usually um, lose their sanity. And one man came out. Uh, he had said, God, I don't have anybody but you. Uh, will you help me? And uh, he discovered that God was all he had and uh, all he needed. Another one uh, story is about two Christian men who sold everything they had except in their little home, a table, a chair, and a blanket that they both slept on. And the person said, why did you sell everything? And they said, because uh, they want to fund their outreach. Uh, they even now, because there's nothing else to sell, they sell their blood on the black market because the need is so great. That's all they care about. Uh, another story is about Christian women in another country who are put in cages that they barely fit in, uh, and they are given rotten corn only once a day. Another uh, one is uh, a Christian man in another country who was taken out daily out of prison to be executed. Then uh, the guards would laugh and then take him back to his cell. That happened every day for three years until he said, I was losing my mind. They moved him to a different cell where he saw the sunrise for the first time in three years. So. <laughs> yeah. These, these Christians know shalom, uh, exactly what you said. Peace beyond circumstances. How do they do that? Yeah. With so little. With yeah, and, and we have so much here, and we have such a lack of peace. They don't, they don't get relief or justice, maybe, until they're in heaven. Um, all they have is Jesus. And so I ask myself, is he enough for my circumstances, too? Mm-hmm. A lot to learn from them. Well, thank you, Lisa, just for, for sharing. Uh, I want to just give you two things to take with you today. I know, it's, like I said before, peace is a, is a process that we work towards, but here's just two tangible steps you can take today. One, invite God into the next disruption you have. Don't leave him out of it. Sit with him. As Lisa talked about, sit with your emotions and what you're experiencing. Talk to him. Pray. And secondly, replace the negative noise in your life. Don't just eliminate it. Replace it. Think of the things above. Think of, of invest in things above that are of God. Let me pray for us. God, we want to let this just sink in today. We, uh, we confess that we're, we're just a people 
who have so much. God, but we live with such anxiousness because we have so much and we allow so much in, so much that replaces you. And God, you have, uh, you have really made it, made it easy for us. You've, you've called us to a way of life that just says, come to me, find rest in me, and I'll give it to you. God, we want to grow in that. I pray for anybody in this room who, who is engaged in those destructive kind of patterns uh, with you, that you would bring healing and wholeness to them. And I pray that we would grow as, as people, grow as a body in this understanding of what it means that you are everything and you complete us. You bring soul rest to us. Help us to live in that. And God, help us to put in practice what we learned today and the things in our life. I pray that you even bring it to our minds now. The negative kind of, of, of noise and influences that are coming into our life, Lord, pray, God, you would reveal that to us and, and give us the strength to say no and to replace them with you. And God, as we worship today, we take great delight in what you've done for us. We are a thankful people for every gift that you've given. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.